Let us continue worship by praying. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word. You have shared your heart and mind, put it in our hands. You've translated it, protected it over the years and generations, so we have it now in abundance. And Lord, we're just sorry that we don't take it more seriously, that we take it for granted. We may come to it when we need it, when we come to, to hear how much you love us and you care for us, but not to know what is important to you, not to know your rules, your commandments, and yet you do speak like that. You don't just talk about mushy love, you also talk about rules that are good for our souls and we wanna know them because we know that you've given them out of the goodness of your heart. For our good is good and again, we, we are sorry, Lord, that we're not seeking it more. Please lead us today. Father, please forgive us and lead us to truly come to your feet to be taught by you. To know from you and by the help of your spirit how to live in a way that honors you. In a way that is good for us. We, we are fallen, Lord. The flesh, he fights back. And sometimes he fights back hard. And that's when we need your word to wash our minds. To renew our hearts. To transform us more and more into the image of your son. And we are here humbly for that. I, I pray, Lord, you would wash away from my words what is of Martin and only what is Christ be left. Only what is of the Spirit be left for my brothers and sisters to hear and to apply in their lives. Yeah, Lord, we pray that we will leave here transformed by what you said while forgetting what Martin said, that you would be the one being heard today and we'd be the one following it faithfully as your bondservants, as your children, towards the Father we say we love. So please help us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> so, so one of the gifts that I got, what we got at a wedding, uh, looks a bit like this. You know these frames that has the house rules in it? Some of them are funny. Some of them have a little Christian twist to it. And I would say that the passage we're in today from verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 1, it is God giving the house rules for a typical Christian home. The different relationships and roles that exist within that Christian home. Couples, parents, even slaves and masters was all about household relationships. And, and God is now giving us the house rules for that life together. Now in it, Paul will give us one duty per role. Some of them will have a little addendum, a little extra something to the duty, but all get one duty. Very general and yet very demanding when we think about it, as we'll see together. But that's it. That's what we're called to do. Now, Paul didn't say this in a vacuum. He said it in a context. But we saw that the Colossian church had problems with false teachers. These false teachers were trying to lead them to other kind of spirituality, and Paul was bringing them back to Christ, their identity in Christ. And then he brought them in chapter 3 saying, recognize that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, up in the heavenlies, and put your mind there. And with your mind there, put to death what is of the flesh. But put on Christ-like character. And then renew your mind with the word. That way you could live it out. Or cleanse the temple, as our brother was saying last week, over and over again. What a wonderful sermon it was. Well, that's what's included when we get to our text. This, this life with this mindset in heaven, with this filling of the word, that's very similar to the filling of the spirit that Ephesians talks about. We could even say that Ephesians and Colossians are sister epistles. Colossians being the little sister, the condensed version of Ephesians. 
Because Paul will say to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit and sing. And then he'll tell the Colossians, be filled with the words and sing. It's the same thing. The filling of the Spirit and the renewing of the mind by the Word calls us to the same thing. And the danger is trying to separate the two from what we're about to look. But we'll talk about being filled with the Spirit and do super spiritual things. I'm going to go preach in street corners and pray all night. And then I'll go home and be a good husband. No, 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 no. You don't get it. Being filled with the Spirit is what you need to fulfill these house rules. So we have to keep that in mind as we move on to these roles and relationship that God brings before us. These house rules He gives us. Now, you might be saying this morning, I'm not part of any of these roles. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I still believe that when we look at these roles, we will see general principles for all in the household of God. These are house rules for the church as well. But we start with wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I find it interesting Paul starts with wives and not husbands because the husband is the head of the house, right? He's the head of the wife. But then why start with the wives instead? Could we say the wives are the backbone of the church, of the, of the, uh, of the family? As the man is the head, the wife is the backbone, like Proverbs 31. It's this amazing woman, the typical believing woman who cares for the kids, cares for the slaves, and also provides for the home. The backbone. I think that's what Paul is getting also in Titus when he calls wives to be housekeepers. Mistranslations, actually. Um, when you look at it in, let's say, Titus verse two, chapter 2, verse 5, in the King James, it says, keepers at home. But in New Revised Standard, actually puts it as managers of the household. And that's the idea of the Greek word. It, it means really like the, the house boss. That's the roles of the wife. I know it's, that's the Greek word that Paul is using. So again, maybe he comes, starts with wives because they're the backbone of the house. But the duty they're given is to submit to your husbands. Take note, it's not a general call for all women to be submissive to all men. But we'll get to a general call of submission soon enough. But for right now, he's saying that wives submit to their husbands. That's important. Right, so I'm going to address the wives right now. And understand that he doesn't say obey, he says submit. Kids are called to obey. Slaves will be called to obey. Wives, submit. It's a military term, actually. It means to put yourself under the rule of a superior officer. Not because the officer is better, because that's his rank. He's a superior officer. But it's a hard thing. We're going to see that all these duties are connected by the heart. They're all heart attitude. Right? This is about the heart of these wives who voluntarily chooses to submit to their husbands. That's why it's not about trying to find the limits. Well, what if he says this? What if he does that? Should I submit then? It's not about what the other one does. It's about your heart recognizing that your duty is submission. Put yourself under this general call. As Paul continues to say, it's fitting in the Lord. This gives us, I would say, the sphere in which all of these duties exist. God's sovereign, providential rule over all of these relationships. It's fitting in the Lord. Or if you prefer, it's right-ordered. Right-ordered by who? By Him. By the Lord. He's established this. 
That's why Paul could say in Ephesians, you submit unto your husband as unto the Lord, not because men become little gods. We are far from being little gods as husbands. I can say that, I know. Um, no, but because the way you do it as unto the Lord, you will do it as unto your husband. As John says, how can you say you love God that you do not see and not love your brothers and sisters you do see? You can say, my dear wives, I want to submit to you, Lord, whatever you want. He says, okay, show it to me by the way you submit to your husband. That, that, that's the equivalent. But like I said, there's also this general call of submission. Again, in Ephesians, submit to one another. And then he says, wives, submit to your husbands. So this seems like there's a, a general call and a specific call here. Paul could have said, submit to one another and then skip over the wives because you already know what to do. And then, well, husband, you need to look. But no, he, he does mean, he does seem to show that there's a general call of submission and a specific one for the wives. Peter also talks like that, actually. He says, likewise, you younger, right, those young believers, submit yourselves unto the elders, a specific kind of submission. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, a general call too. So there seems to be a general call of submission, but also a specific one in God's great economy. But then what about this general call? Because we've already talked about the specific one for wives to their husband, but I think there's something to be said about the general call to submission that's also uh, beneficial for my dear sisters. He continues and says, to be clothed, I should say, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. Humility is really about seeing the other one is better than yourself. Not just that they are better, you see it as your heart is disposed to recognize your needs is better than mine. Like we see in Romans 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Right? The other one before you. And some translations it will actually say to be quick to honor or be the first to honor because that's the idea. The idea is you put the honor of the other one first before they do it to you, in a sense. So yeah, this humility that puts the other person before you. And Paul could bind it all up in Philippians when he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I believe this is all included in the package deal of general submission, this humility attitude putting the other ones first, and then you, I, I would take that and say, this should be included in wives submit to your husband. So it's not just I put myself under his rank, it's also I search out to do what is best for him so he can fulfill his role as the husband. I put his needs first. Okay, Martin, what about the husband now? We'll get that after a sip. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, already we see that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we already see something interesting here because I said it before, everybody gets a duty, but someone has a little addendum to them, a little something extra. The husband had a little something extra here. We'll get to it. It's a negative extra. We'll get to it, though. Because what I find interesting is Paul doesn't say husbands lead your wives. 
aren't husband calls to be the leader of the household? I've heard so many sermons, read so many books. Men, be leaders. Yet Paul, through inspiration, says, men, love your wives. Interesting, right? Of course, it's understood that there's leadership, but the duty that is given to us as husbands is to love. In Ephesians, you will say, love as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And husbands, get Hollywood out of your mind. This isn't about dying, fighting bad guys to save your wife. I've heard that. I've actually heard it many times. Yeah, it's about dying for your wife. No, dying to yourself for your wife. Much harder. Because you have to stay alive afterwards. <laughs> but this is agape love, commitment love, devoted love, self-sacrificial love like God has for us. This is the love call that is given to husbands. Very similar to what we see in 1 Corinthians 13. Guys, love is patient. Let's just stop here, all husbands, and say, yeah, we need help in that one. Love is patient. Love is kind. Because it's tempting to say that agape love, commitment love, is all about the commitment and not the emotions. Well, no, that's not true, actually. The very Greek word itself does have emotion connected to it. Don't let people tell you otherwise. Agape love has serious emotions connected to it. There is kindness. There is tenderness called upon us as husbands. It's not jealous or you know, focused about what I want and how I want things. Love does not brag. Honey, look at everything I've done for you. It's not arrogant. No, I do so much for you. It, it doesn't do that, love. Again, husbands, let us stop and confess, maybe. <laughs> and then we can move on. It does not act disgracefully, unseemingly in some translation. The Greek word talks about going beyond the, the parameters. Now, we know that within marriage, the intimacy has no limits. I mean, you can't be with your wife or a husband because you are married. But husbands, don't try to push it and get your satisfaction in that. See, that's what love doesn't do. It does not seek its own benefit. And then it gets really negative. It's not provoked. We'll, we'll get back to that one very quickly. Does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It's tempting, oh, she did this. And she did that, and she said this, don't let those rocks accumulate in your shoes. There's no place for that. It does not keep a record of wrong. That's what love does. That's our duty, husbands, to love like this. Let this sink in for just a little bit. Okay, now let's move on. Because when we get back to our text, we see the negative aspect that I was talking about. And do not be harsh with them. Now that's mistranslation in a sense, because it makes it seem like we, we shouldn't be too tough on women, but that's, that's not the idea, actually. As you can see at the NASB, do not become bitter against them. Like we saw before, love is not provoked, irritated, frustrated, annoyed. It, it will be tempting when certain things happen for the husband in this call to love sacrificially, to let little things get in the way. You can't do that. We will see later on that there's a call for the whole heart to be involved in these duties. Therefore, when you let little things accumulate, you ruin this great duty that we're given. Can't let this bitterness get the best of us. And we can't help but see how in this first group of relationships, there's a mutually beneficial aspect, right? 
When these wives truly submit in a way that is God-honoring, when you truly put the needs of the husband and his call first, it will motivate within him a way to lead that is loving and sacrificial. And vice versa, a husband that's loving and sacrificial and tender and does not let the little things get the best of him will motivate in his wife a submission and desire to help him be a better husband. Mutually beneficial. Same happens with the next relationships between children and parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, what children here includes those young ones, five or six, all the way to what we call teenagers. Considering back then people got married around 16, 17 on a more normal basis, we would say about 10, 12 year basis, a difference between the two. Those are children. I don't see too many of these children right now before me. And thank the Lord for the fact that we have children Sunday school, amen for that. But that means that for the parents right now, and your kids are not here, you have to teach them this. Now for the kids who are here right now, this is for you. You need to obey. The word literally means to put your ear out, to get the command, to do it. That, that's it. It is a hard thing again because you have to heart inclined incline towards saying, to please my Lord, I will put my ear out to my parents saying, what do you want so that I can do it? Yeah, but sometimes my parents do, oh yeah, but you don't know my parents. Obey your parents in everything. Because this was pleases the Lord. Again, the sphere in which this exists is God's sovereign, providential rule. And again, I go to the parents whose kids are not here to make them understand before they, they try to express themselves and become their own person, or even before they start walking with the Lord themselves, they need to understand the best way to please the Lord first and foremost is to obey you in everything. That's it. Because the way you will obey the Lord will be seen the way you obey your parents. Don't go saying, I want to follow the Lord, but please don't talk to me, parents. That doesn't work. There's a disconnect that our Heavenly Father can see and cause hypocrisy. No, it, obey your parents and everything. But then we turn to the parents. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Two things are really interesting here. The first, he says, fathers and not parents. Why? Why does he focus on fathers? Is it because dads are more tendency to provoke their children? No, I don't think that's it. I've heard that, but I don't think that's it. Remember, he's talking to a typical Christian home, typical Roman Christian home. In the Roman world, fathers were the mega head of the household, if you will. They had literally the power of life and death for their kids until they were adults. Now, yes, Christian parents would not kill their children, but still, in the Christian culture, the father was the head of the home. That is, I believe, why Paul addresses the fathers and doesn't say parents. Yet, we can't forget that many times Paul will say brothers, but he means brothers and sisters. He means both of you, all of you. So yes, he says fathers because they were the head of the home, but I do believe he's also saying parents. This is a call for all of you as, as well. The other thing that's interesting, he doesn't say lead. 
He doesn't say give commands. He doesn't say, he just gives a negative aspect to the duty. Do not provoke or irritate or frustrate your children. Why? I'll let you think about that. I would say the answer is found in context. Remember what's going on in Colossian, the Colossian church right now? False teachers, in which Paul's in chapter 2, don't let yourself be deceived by their teachings, their philosophies, their way of doing it. What was their teaching in chapter 2? Asceticism. Don't touch. Don't drink. Don't eat. Don't go there. Don't do this. Some extreme kind of spirituality where you fast intensely to get supervisions. You think that some of these fathers and parents maybe got influenced by that kind of spiritual teaching and were maybe imposing on their kids some kind of spiritual rules and demands that could be provoking, frustrating, and creating more discouragement than anything else? Right? Presenting a yoke of Christ that was so heavy, it was more like a yoke of religion, discouraging these kids from following the Lord? I believe that's the case. And that's why he's going to this negative aspect of the duty you will teach. Of course you'll teach. You'll teach them the way of the Lord. Of course. Don't do it in a way that's irritating, frustrating, demanding, or discouraging. Now, can, can we also glean from that? I think that as parents, you, most, you should say yes. I, yeah, amen. It, it is tempting sometimes to want to add a bit more rules to keep some control in the kids. But be careful because you may discourage them, as Paul goes on to say. I've seen too many of these kids who grew up in Christian homes with a bit too many rules who end up leaving the faith. And they've heard the gospel. They could preach the gospel probably better than most of us. But the yoke of Christ that was presented to them was so heavy, they just got discouraged and they left it behind. So it is a very, again, mutually beneficial relationship that's presented to us. Well, on the one side, the kind of kids who has a heart truly inclined to saying, yeah, my parents sometimes are demanding. Yes, it's not easy, but I will leave my ear and say, tell me what to do. We'll motivate the parents to provide rules that are not demanding, but good for them. In the same way, children, they know when rules are given just to keep them under control and not to help them grow in the Lord. That's why you're called to be careful of these things and you will feed that kind, right kind of relationship. Same thing happens when we move on to the next group. And here's where we have to be careful. It is tempting to go to the next group, bond servants and masters, and say this is the equivalent of employee-employers. No, it's not. I've said it before, this is about a typical Christian home. It's not because Paul says bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I am never called to obey my boss in everything. That's not what God's saying here. Again, he's talking about the home and the relationship within that home, where many times Christians were still bond servants. It would have been tempting for them to say, I'm now a Christian. I want to go preach the gospel. Forget you, master. But Paul says, no. You need to obey in everything these masters, and that's what will please the Lord. That's what honoring to him. Do it not in just an eye service or as people pleaser, but with a sincerity of heart. That's your duty, bond servants. 
That's the way you're supposed to live it out right now. Okay, but I'm not a burn servant, Martin. I don't think anybody here is. Yeah, but I talked about the household of God in which we're all bond servants of our divine master, right? Amen? Could we then say, as bond servants, we should be attentive, right? The ear leaned before our divine master to obey him in everything he asks. And at many times what he will ask is not some kind of voice in the heavens, but it's the voice of our brothers and sisters, their needs. And this is about doing everything for everybody, but it's about having a heart that's inclined, saying, how may I serve my God by serving his people? Again, negatively, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, not in a way that could be seen and, and people will applaud you, not that it's wrong to applaud, but not seeking that out. On the contrary, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, we're given this fear, this divine, sovereign, providential rule over us in which we are called to have this respect, reverence. I wouldn't even say trembling. Not because God is scary, but because he's an all-consuming fire of holiness. And I'm not holy. Because all the servants of God, when they met him, they trembled, and some even fell on their faces as dead. So that's why I dare say fear in a sense also of trembling before such a God and he says with a sincerity of heart, the word literally means without faults. Remember in school when you used to pass notes? I'm sure none of you did that, but we used to pass notes and you would fold up the paper so nobody else could see it? That, that's kind of the idea here. You're hiding the frustration, irritation, negativity you might have towards the brother and sister you're serving. God says, don't, don't do that, I can see it. And you should have that kind of fear and trouble and saying, God can see that I'm serving out of eye service and not from a sincerity of heart. There's foals in there. Now, I may not start out as foals at first. You're doing sincerely from the heart, but then things get difficult, and people get difficult, and the foals start flapping. God says, I see that. Stop. Confess. Repent. That's something we need to take the time to recognize, I think, because we'll be quick to just continue pushing foot forward and saying, I got to do, I got to do. But God says, no, no, I can see the heart. Unfold that. Unfold that negativity. Because it, as he continues to say, Paul, whatever you do, work heartily as, the Lord, as for the Lord and not for men. Again, it's not about the people. It's ultimately about God. I like that he says, whatever you do, because even though he is talking about the bond servants within the household, and as I said, within the household of God, that whatever you do kind of makes me push it further, further in saying, wives as you submit, husbands as you love, children as you obey, parents as you don't provoke, whatever you do, work heartily. I like when how one of the commentators translated that little expression. Put your whole heart into it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Men, if you're leaving little irritations in here, you can't put your whole heart into it when you love your wives. Or any of us bond servants, when you're flapping over little frustrations and irritations, your heart will not be fully involved in the service. That's why I said you got to stop. God doesn't want you to just do stuff. He wants you to do it with the whole heart. Stop. Confess it. Then continue. 
because it is really about the heart and a judge, a God who can see and recompense. Yeah, Paul continues, still talking to the the bondservants right now, saying, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It is beautiful that Paul, in that one verse, talks twice about the Lord. Right? He begins and he ends focused on our God. He is the one you are serving, and he's the one that will recompense you as well, reward you for this faithfulness, this wholehearted devotion, this effort to unfold what folds up in your heart. But don't miss that the inheritance is the reward. It's not about the stuff. not about the stuff you get in heaven. The inheritance itself is the reward. What, is, what did Christ inherit itself, right? He, he inherited glory at the right hand of the Father. What do we inherit? Glory with the Father. But that's it. It's, it's that intimacy with God that we, we aim at that should motivate what we do here. Now, what's fascinating is that a slave who was still a slave could never inherit anything under Roman law. So even if a master who really loved his slave decided to leave in his will everything, if he didn't free his slave first, and he even especially adopted him as they usually did, he could never get it under Roman law. And in this context right now, Paul is not saying try to be free slaves. Remember 1 Corinthians 7. If you can't be free, go for it. But if you can't, remain in the state you are in. Paul is still saying to these slaves, don't try to be free. Remain in that service with all your heart. And if your master dies and you get nothing, guess what? You still get God. See, that's what you're supposed to aim at. Not what will happen here. Same thing with the husband's and wife's relationship. Children and parent relationship as bond servants in the household of God. You don't look towards what you will get. You look towards that great inheritance that is God. But there's also a consequence for disobedience. He is a just judge. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. That expression, paid back, is the same as received. It it actually means to get what you deserve. You worked for it, you merited it. So positively, of course, you get inheritance. Negatively is you get the wrong you worked for. This is the Bible, as we know, all know it, sowing and reaping. Like it says in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap, right? Basic rules. God set it up. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Little question here. What does he mean by sowing for the flesh? It's not about sin here. Remember who he's talking to, the Galatians. Galatians have been influenced by Judaizers, telling them by through religious behavior and the cutting of the flesh, they will be pleasing to God. You sow into that kind of religious mindset, you will reap corruption, not being pleasing to God. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, what is reap sowing to the Spirit? Well, the Spirit tells us you are a sinner deserving of hell. Judgment is upon you, but it was put upon Christ. See, he died for your sins. He was resurrected for your justification. And in faith, you 
sow into that. You put your trust in that and you will reap from that eternal life. But he still goes on again to that general principle. And let us not grow weary in doing well in any sense possible. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Just like Paul's talking about with the slaves, with the bondservants of the household of God. It's the same thing he says in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive, that same word, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, don't be afraid. The word evil means vain, useless. It's the same kind of idea we see in 1 Corinthians 3, when he talks about building on the foundation of Christ with vain, useless things like hay, stubble, men's ideas, or precious jewels like the Word of God. Some will be burned up, some will remain. Same kind of thing here. But yet, there is a consequence for the vain way we live. I don't know what it is. Paul doesn't say. But it's a reality at the judgment seat of Christ. Because again, there's no partiality in God. In the sense that he is a fair judge that doesn't play favorites. He has set it up. Paul is telling us again, dear bondservants in the household of God, if you serve with your whole heart, not letting the foes get the best of you, not letting the frustration, anger, slander get into your heart, well, guess what? They will, you will taste that inheritance with God. But if you continue to feed the negative attitude and do it in a way that's just seen by others, well, you will reap from that as well. Because God is a fair and just God, a gracious God, but also a judge. He's, he's not partial. He doesn't play favorites. This will be the same for all of us. So that's why I took this discussion of bond servants within a household and said, let's talk about the household of God and us as bond servants. But then we have masters. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. There were not many masters within the Christian church. It was really a poor man's religion, if you could say it like that, back in the day. Yet there were some, James talks to the rich, there were some masters within the Christian church, and he's addressing them right now. Now, within the Roman culture, the masters were told to really be hard and demanding so the slaves wouldn't revolt, wouldn't think they could do whatever they want. And it would have been tempting as Christians saying, well, I'm just trying to help the culture do what's right for the slaves. But Paul says, no, no, no. Don't forget, you have a master who is kind and tender to you. And you might want to control your servants in a harsh way, but no, no, be just and fair to them. Okay, Martin, but none of us here are masters. True. But what about the hustle of God? Isn't there people with authority? And don't just think of pastors and, and deacon boards, but any of it with maturity. Anyone who's served for many years has in that sense that kind of authority as well. Paul, again, in Titus, will say that the older women are to teach the younger women. That's a certain authority towards them. Same thing for the older men, not pastors, older men. He will say in Romans 15 that those who are more mature, who are stronger, are to care for those who are weaker in the faith. He's going to say in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 7, that those who, again, strong in the faith and understand their Christian liberties are not to hoard it over those who don't. 
So again, there's a sense that you have a certain authority because of your maturity. And I say all of this because that would treat kind of interesting. Uh, here's, here it is in the NASB. Masters, grant or give your slaves justice and fairness. The NIV. Masters, provide your slaves what is fair, uh, right and fair. Again, the sense of those who have more within the house of God, maturity, authority, are to give for those who have less. This call to fairness and rightness, I believe, can be applied in the household of God in that sense. Those who have more of this maturity and authority are called to provide for those who have less. And like I said, all of this is in the sphere of God's sovereign, providential rule. We need to keep our eyes on Him. It needs to be focused on him with a sense of fear and trembling and respect and reverence, seeking to please him by the way we fulfill his duties here on earth. Because sometimes, wives, they'll be married to husbands that are difficult, demanding, or even unbelievers. They're still called to submit to their husbands. Sometimes a husband is married to a wife that's angry or sick. You're so called to love without the irritation and impatience and frustration. Sometimes kids are born in families that are of another religion and they will kill you because you become a Christian. You're still called to obey your parents and everything. Sometimes as parents, you will have kids that are disobedient and if you basically just want the world and not the Lord. And it will be tempting to want to impose so many rules to keep them but no, you will provoke them to frustration. Don't do that. In the household of God, some of these bond servants will give their whole heart into service and not get gratitude, but criticism instead. You're so-called to not let the flaps get the best of you. All the same things for those who have this authority or maturity. Sometimes it's not well received for those around you. You're so-called to be fair and right and just. Because in that, we taste your, the inheritance right now. Like I said before, this is about the Spirit filling us so we can do this. Being filled with the Spirit, to be faithful in His great demands as they really are biblically presented will give us a taste of heaven, a taste of God's intimacy in amazing ways. Well, on the flip side, those who will not and let the foes flap up the frustration and the bitterness and the unsubmissive spirit get the best of us. We'll test the bitterness of grieving the spirit instead. So it's one thing to say yes and amen here on Sunday morning. It's another thing where the rubber meets the road and we have to live it out in day-to-day reality as bond servants, as husbands and wives and parents and kids. May the Lord help us. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are with us and in us and helping us. Because in all honesty, this is more than just a few harsh rules. These duties testify of your love for us, of your love for your church, of your sacrificial giving. In every sense possible, as a master, but also as a servant yourself. And you're saying to look to you and to follow your example. And we are saying, help, please. 
Because in all honesty, it's not easy. Lord, help us to be honest when frustration and irritation and annoyances and anger and unsubmissiveness and unloving attitude gets the best of us. Let us not continue, Lord, in these ways, but to confess because you are good to forgive. Help us to be honest and bring it into life for the good of these relationships, Lord, so these households will testify of the great house of God before a unbelieving world. And that's why we pray right now. That's why we're asking for your help because we can't do it without you. And we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.